part of our um, goals that we positioned as a church leadership um, that we wanted to try to do is to initiate these first Wednesdays of each month uh, to do a special service, uh, kind of like an intimate type setting. Uh, probably we'll do a song or maybe two and uh, give some kind of short and uh, brief uh, talk or lesson of some sort and invite other people to come and speak. It's going to be an opportunity uh, for us to invite some people to come and speak to us as a church and going to be multiple things. We'll go through uh, some leadership topics and just all kinds of different things. So it's going to be really cool. Um, thing that we we want to initiate uh, this year and looking forward to it uh, please come Wednesday if at all possible it, it won't be probably 35 or 40 minutes it'll start at seven o'clock and we'll get done and but we want it to be impactful though we don't want to just waste our time we want to come and receive something and give us a little shot in the arm uh, once a month through the midweek time and uh, we want to welcome you to come to that please uh, bring people with you if you want to and uh We'll have a great time, just uh, intimate time with God. It's going to be a uh, type of setting. Uh, there's something different about evenings. And our church services are always during the morning, and everybody's kind of droggy and uh, bleh, bleh, like that. And uh, maybe it'll give us opportunity for people to be awake for once for a service if we do an evening service. So come out for that if you will. Um, so when's it going to be every month? First Wednesday, right? So, first Wednesday. Uh, I did kind of play with that a little bit, and I put the one instead of the I, so that way at least we would know. Uh, everybody could figure it out that way. It's first, right? Yeah, okay. That's what that says, so let's go with that first Wednesday. Uh, we are uh, continuing our Red Letter Challenge sermon series as we go through the Red Letter Challenge. Uh, together as a church, as a congregation. It's a uh, encouraging time as we went through this as a church as a whole. We are on day 33 of the 40-day challenge, and I'm sure that it's uh, been impactful in your life so far and caused you to think a little differently and act a little differently and uh, all these topics that we're covering, it just helps us to dig, dig into those as the red letters of Jesus and what he intended for our lives to be like. And each week we're going through the process of going from one topic to the other and building a bridge between the two. So this week we're building a bridge between giving and going. So uh, this whole entire last week, our red letter challenge and all the words that was in the book was about giving and how uh, different verses that Jesus talked about and how that he spoke about giving and let us know what he thinks about giving. And this next week, starting tomorrow, we'll go into the last and final week, and it'll end on next Sunday, uh, the going. So we're going to start this week in going. So we're going to build a bridge between the two of them and hopefully get us uh, glean some things from them. So if you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 1, and we're going to read a few verses here about a story about going. So Luke chapter 10 says, After these things the Lord appointed 
other seventy also, and sent them two by two before his face to every city and place, whether himself would come. Therefore he said to them, The harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers to his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs amongst wolves. Carry neither your purse, nor script, nor shoes, nor salute no man by the way. And in whatsoever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall return to you again. And in the name, in the same house, remain eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. And into whatsoever city you enter, and they shall receive you and eat such things as are set before you. And heal the sick of them that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But into whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you not, go your way out unto the streets of the same, and say, Even to the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us, we do wipe away against you, notwithstanding, but ye be sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come near to you. But I say unto you, that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we pray today that you would just allow us to receive what you have for us to hear today. And God, that your word would rest upon our minds, upon our hearts, and would cause change within us, God. Lord, that we become like you, that we could speak the way you would have us to speak, and we would act the way you would have us to act. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Everyone says, Amen. So in going, Jesus sent out 70 disciples in this story. And he sent them out and he told them that there was a harvest to go gather, right? That there was something that needed harvested. And he told them to pray that the Lord would send forth labors into the harvest. Because if you don't harvest... A crop, it will fall to the ground, wither away, and do nothing. It will not uh, have any effect. So you have to harvest what is grown. So Jesus sends out these 70 disciples, and he, he tells them to go, to go out. And he encourages them to go and to go into houses and go into cities. And in this Red Letter Challenge, as we're thinking about going and and contemplating about going this next week, I want us to see that these words that Jesus spoke here is encouraging to us, that he's imploring us to go. And I want to look at these, these disciples, these individuals that he sent in that, that he sent them, and every one of them wasn't perfect. And you and I, as disciples of Jesus, sitting in this room today, are not perfect either. So it wasn't like he chose the 70 perfect ones and now you're the ones to go. He didn't do a process of elimination and he, he just picked out 70 people there and told them to go. And as they went, I'm sure that they, like you and I, probably were afraid of not knowing what to say, of not knowing what to do. Because they had been traveling with Jesus and they'd watched him with feed the 5,000 and they'd watched him perform miracles and they'd watched all these things 
And as they seen Jesus doing those things, they didn't really believe that it was possible for them. So a lot of times in our lives, we operate in fear. Amen? We won't go do what God's called us to do because we're afraid that we won't know what we're doing. Amen? Whenever he tells us to go witness to somebody or Leslie encourages us and hands us two cards and says, pray about taking this to two people, automatic fear sets in on us and thinks, oh no, what if I hand it to them? They ask me about a Bible verse that I don't know. What if I get up to them and I stumble on my words and I don't know what to say? The enemy sets fear in our hearts so that we won't act the way God wants us to act. That we won't encourage the way God wants us to encourage. That we won't strengthen our brothers and sisters in Christ or even those in our community that don't know him yet. That we won't be brave enough to go and do what God's called us to do. The harvest is out there. In our community today, in our surrounding neighborhoods and areas that we live in, there's people there that don't know about God. There are people that don't know about the blood of Jesus that was sacrificed on the cross of Calvary for our sins. That They don't understand the principles of God. They don't know the things of God. They don't attend church. They don't hear about what God has done for them. So Jesus is sending us out with two little cards, blue cards, to go and give the same way he sent out these 70. So and when I begin to think about that, what is it like to go out and to be called to go out and represent Jesus and represent God when we feel incompetent. And I began to think through that a little bit, and I thought, well, you know, people can talk about what they're passionate about. So, Greg likes Hot Wheels. He collects them. So if you got Hot Wheels and you don't have them, and you've got them stowed away somewhere, and you had them as kids, and you want to get rid of them, and last week we talked about giving away stuff, you want to give away your Hot Wheels, take them to Greg. He knows what the value of what they're worth. He can tell you by the little markings on the bottom of them, which ones, oh, that's really rare, and that paint scheme's really like this and that, and all that. He, he really likes them. And it wasn't like instantaneously one morning he just woke up and had all this knowledge of all the Hot Wheels of all times. Throughout life, he's continued to study them and look at them and read books and read articles and watch eBay and just go through and see value of them. And he knows it because he spent time to learn it. And it's easy to talk about something that you know about, right? So maybe it's the kids. Maybe one of these, what's your passion, Whitney? What are you passionate about? I know one thing for sure is Crocs. So I come in to sit down this morning, and I didn't know I was going to get a life lesson on Crocs, and they're $40. And She was very gifted, though, that she did help her sister get a pair of Crocs, too, because you buy one and get another prize for half price or something. So it's like if anybody needs any Crocs, uh, just come up and see Whitney after the service, and she'll hook you up with where to go and what kinds to buy. And so, But if we're passionate about something, we know about it, right? We study it. We try to figure it out, and we look for the best deals, and... And my mom was guilty of that with coupons back in the day. I don't know. You, anybody remember when coupons were literally not just something on your phone, like an app or anything, but it's like a piece of paper? And it's embarrassing as a kid. Mom going through Kroger's and let me see if I got a coupon for that. Digging through, I had a big Tupperware tray that big, plumb full of coupons. 
now it's become something fancy that everybody's like couponers is a big thing now and Sandy Ruckle is really good at that. She's a penny pensionist outfit I've ever seen. She she gets Todd set back her look, yep, she does. She figures out a way. Um not too long ago, she, I think she's telling us that she got a plane ticket for $22 because she done this and done that and got my points over here and that. and Whatever we're passionate about, we can talk about. So in thinking about that, I thought, well, there's some things that I'm passionate about that I can talk about really easy. And it don't really worry me to talk about it because I'm passionate about it. So I love history. I just really love history. I've enjoyed looking at history, studying history, thinking about history. And I'm sure all these kids are up here thinking, man, I wish they'd never teach history. But I love it. I really do. I, I don't remember loving it in high school or middle school or anything else. I just, I've grown more fond of it the older I've got. So, and I kind of like politics a little bit too. So politics and history together is something that I'm kind of passionate about that I like studying. So, I mean, literally, I can take you from... 1900 when McKinley got uh, elected and he, he he ended up getting shot and his vice president takes over and Teddy Roosevelt and then he goes on for th three years and fills that term and, and as he fills that term he don't even appoint another pres vice president. Did you know that? That during Teddy Roosevelt's first administration he didn't even have a vice president that America went three years without one. So there's all kinds of things like that that I just... I, it's like useless information, really, but I love studying the history of it so that I can think because I believe that if you know history and you know how to study history to see if you do this, then this happens, then I look at it as a way to prevent myself from doing stupid things that get stupid outcomes, right? So I understand Teddy Roosevelt, and then I know that he kind of got mad, and he one day just shouted off the mouth, and he said that I won't run again a second term of a full term of myself because I took those three-year term of McKinley, and I'm not going to do that, and then he lets Taft get elected, and then he don't like Taft, and then in 1912, he gets in the race as a third party, and then Woodrow Wilson gets elected, and Woodrow Wilson does two terms, and Woodrow Wilson, I know the, Tony, the thing on his badge, he said Wilson kept us out of the war. So World War I was going on over... In the uh, Europe, and we wasn't involved in it. And he said his badge, literally, that everybody wore said Wilson kept us out of the war. He gets elected in November, takes us in the war instantly. He <laughs> he ran on a topic and did the exact opposite thing. Sounds like a politician, right? So. As we go forward, and then 1920, he uh, gets sick, has a brain condition, but his wife still takes over the country, and she's still running the country, so literally she was the first woman president of America, really, but he was still alive, but incapacitated, and she ran the country for the last few months of his administration. Then we know that Warren G. Harding gets elected, right? That Warren G. Harding comes along, and he's, he's running the country, and next thing you know, he dies in office. Now his vice president becomes president. Who's that? You? No, 1923? You don't, you don't remember that? No? Dang. You wasn't alive then. Me neither. Uh, anybody else alive? 1923? Well, not, probably not too many. Um, so C Calvin Coolidge comes along. He, he's president, right? So he, he stays in, and he, he stays all the way up through to 29. Then, then another guy gets elected, and he's kind of a goober, in my opinion. Not, probably one of the worst presidents that I know of because the Great Depression happens, right? And all that goes on, and his whole administration, the Great Depression, who's that? None? Dang. But I can talk about this stuff, right? I, I can go on and on and on. I can take you all the way through to the current day and tell you presidents, what they did, kind of what their administration was like, what the country was like, what was going on in the economy. I, why? Because I like it. 
I, I'm impassioned about history. I love that stuff. So his name was Hoover, for those of you wondering. Had Hooverville, you know about the bonus army, right? When World War I veterans go in and try to get their money and he runs them out of town, burns their tents down in Washington, D.C. You didn't know that? Did you know he called the federal uh, army in and literally had them to shoot World War I veterans? You didn't know that? That our army was used to kill veterans because they was there asking for a bonus? That's what I thought too. But it happened. If we don't know history though, I don't know how we operate without it myself. But somehow we do. We just keep on going, right? So it'll repeat itself. So there's all these things that I know. If you want to talk about history, I love that. Pretty passionate about it. I can talk about that stuff, and I can go on and on and on and keep going and then take up this whole sermon, but I don't want to do that. What I'm telling you is whatever you're passionate about, you can talk about. But when it comes to the gospel or comes to Jesus or comes to sharing the gospel or being a laborer of the harvest, we get scared because we don't know. Amen? We're afraid we're going to go up to somebody and they're going to say, but what about John 3, 16? Who, who was it about? Who was he talking to? Anybody know what that conversation about? We know the verse, right? Can anybody quote John 3, 16? Okay, okay, I've got takers up here. Who said that? Jesus, right? Jesus said that? So it's probably in red. Who was he talking to? No, he's talking to one individual. Huh? No, he wasn't talking to John. John wrote it down for him. But see, we're afraid of that, that we don't know. There's some old man walked up to him and talked about how to get to heaven. That's what he's telling him about. So if you study that, you'll know that. But we don't know it because we don't know it, right? Probably because we're not that passionate about it in reality. I want to become passionate about sharing Jesus to the world I'm living in because people are going to die and go to hell if we don't say anything. Nehemiah was worried about it and talked about it. And, and all these people of the Bible that you can read through, they, they cared about God, they cared about things, and Nehemiah built a wall. and just You go on and on all throughout the Bible, and you'll see people that's passionate about what they're believing in, what they're reading about, what they're talking about, and they're passionate about it and they can talk about it. But I want to tell you this, that when Jesus told them this 70 to go out, he didn't tell them to talk about what they was passionate about. He told them to go out and tell them that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, has come nigh to your house. And here's where it gets different with this story and with you and I in this room today. When you're anointed... You don't have to be knowledgeable. When God anoints you to do something, you're not going off of your own abilities or capabilities. You're going off of what he's told you you can do. Philippians tells us I can do what? All things through Christ who gives me strength, right? We know that verse that he tells us we can do whatever he calls us to do. So if he calls us to be laborers in this harvest and he tells us to go out and be pray that the Lord would send uh, laborers into the harvest, and if we're praying that today, we need to pray that, that if people are going to die and go to hell if they don't hear about Jesus, then we need to pray in our community to, for God to send somebody to go talk to them. 
And then whenever he tells us, you go talk to him, you take these two blue cards to these two individuals, then we need to look at that and say, I'm not going to go with my own capabilities or my own abilities or my own knowledge or my own passions. I'm going to go with the ability saying, God told me to do it. And when I hand them the card that it's anointed in their hand because God told me that the kingdom of God's coming near you. Because when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, where does he take up residence? In our heart. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you open your heart's door, he said, I will come in and I will sup with you. Paul says that Christ in you is the hope of glory. In us. And then Paul also tells us that know you not that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. That whenever we become saved, that we give our life to Jesus, that Jesus comes in and dwells within us, and he invites the Holy Spirit to come in with him and take abode with us. So we are empowered and embodying God in our life. So I don't want to go talk about godly things in my own capabilities. I don't want to go talk about it from my own passions. I want to go talk about it from the experience of knowing that God can speak through me and use me even though I won't even know what to say. It's like that for me every week. I've got to stand up and talk to you guys about the things of God. And I don't want to talk about it from a point of knowledge or my understanding of things. I want the anointing of God to rest upon his words to apply to your heart so that we can become the body of believers that we're called to be as a church. Because if I'm anointed to speak these things, then it's not Ben speaking, but it's God speaking to our hearts. It's not about knowledge. It's not about humanity's power and capabilities. It's about the God of heaven that we serve working through us and causing change in the world we're living in. These 70 individuals, Jesus tells them, go out. Go to people's houses. Go to your communities. Go to towns. Go to the little communities. And when you go in, pray for the God of peace to rest upon them. Is that not what he told them? Pray for peace. What if we would pray for peace before we would go talk to people? What if we would stop worrying and operating in fear? The Bible says, Paul told Timothy, he said, God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. How many likes a sound mind for once rather than the mind that I've got? I'd rather have a sound one. Amen. He said that's his will, God's will for you. He don't want you to be afraid. He don't want you to operate in fear. He wants you to go with power, love, and a sound mind. So as we pray, let's pray for peace before we go. What if these two blue cards that we've got in our hand now or in your wallet or in your pocket or wherever you just placed them, what if we would pray, God, whoever you have me to take those two, let peace go before me and let peace rest upon their house and upon this town that I go to. How many would like to live in a world of peace? We're living in a world of chaos. What if we would begin to pray for the things that we want from God? How many believe prayers have changed things? Amen? How long has it been since we prayed for the peace of Jerusalem? How long has it been since we prayed for the peace in Vanceburg? How long has it been since we prayed for peace in Portsmouth? We can go through and talk about how many drug addicts are there and how their homes are dilapidated and falling apart and businesses are leaving. and We can always go on with all these things, but what if we would begin to pray, God calls change to come to us and let us abide in your will where we're at. Pray for peace. Pray for prosperity. Pray for the things that God would have us to pray for. 
So as they went out, these 70 people, they went out and they would, they would do these things that Jesus told them and just come up next to somebody, go in their house, knock on their door, the people would welcome in. Most people will welcome you in, majority. There's some people that won't. A few years ago, we went to Carolyn and got the door slammed in her face at one house. I didn't even want no Carolyn going on. I, I mean, whatever. There's some people just don't want to live at peace with you, I promise you. But majority will. Majority of people will open the door and listen to you sing to them, even if you got bad vocal cords and can't sing a lick and whatever, kind of like me. They'll listen to you anyway. They'll put up with it for a few minutes. But these people went out and they began to do what Jesus called them to do, that they weren't going with their own abilities or their own uh, passion or their own knowledge or anything else. They just went out and did what God told them to do. So they would go up these cities. And then when they returned back, it says when they returned, they told Jesus, as far as they're down in Luke chapter 10, they come back and they were astonished that they were able to see people leave, uh, relieved of demonic oppression. Of, of, they seen people healed. It's something different to see Jesus heal somebody than when you go out and you witness and you do what God called you to do and then somebody gets healed because of your prayer. They was amazed by that. They were astonished by that. Because we always want to leave it that, that you know, that I, it ain't up for me and it's, it's for the pastor's job to go to the, to the hospital to pray for the sick or it's, it's the uh, associate pastor or maybe it's the youth pastor's job to go. But what if it's all of our job to go? What if each and every one of us that God's called us as Christians to live a godly life, an anointed life, to go and make change in the world we're living in? He empowered you just the same as he empowered me. It says in Romans chapter 2 verse 11 that there's no respect of persons with God. That he cares just so much about Whitney's prayers as he does Pastor Ben's prayers. And you can literally, if you would go to Sister Joanne's house today, and maybe she'll say, well, you know, kids, I'm kind of feeling sick today. You know what you ought to do first and foremost? Get the anointing oil, because that's what Scripture says to do, and anoint her with oil and pray the prayer of faith, and the Bible says it'll save the sick. Amen. What if we would do what he asked us to do? Amen. And just believe, I believe that God can heal people, amen? I believe it's his will for people to be healed. And if he tells us to go and pray for them, to anoint them with oil, guess what we ought to do? You ought to get some oil. It don't, I say, am I saying that right? Oil, oil, sorry. Get you some oil. It don't have to be special oil. And yeah, we got these little, this is extra virgin olive oil here. Come from Spain. I don't even know where this come from other than it's sitting here. Somebody's bought it. One thing for sure, you won't ever run out of oil, oil, if Bonnie's around or Sister Betty's around. They, I mean, they literally believe in this so much because they've read Jesus' words that said this is what to do. And, I, I mean, when I was sick when I was a kid, Mom would, I, she would absolutely, you, might, you walk around like a greased pig around her because that's just the way she is. She's going to anoint you with oil, and she thinks the more oil, the better off you are. So... I, the older I've got, I, I feel like a little dab will do you. So I just, just a little dab so I can, you know, I can, a little, little dab will do you. I, I think you'll, you'll be okay. So, yeah, just, so I've got oil on my hand. I have cold hands but a warm heart. <laughs> if we anoint them with oil and pray the prayer of faith, it'll save the sick. And what if we believed that and operated in that 
that we would allow that to take place because God told us to. It's in James chapter 5 that he told us to do that. In Acts chapter 19, there's a story about Paul, that he was anointed of God. And many people were being healed and all these different things. And, and the Bible says that the, the people believed the anointing was upon Paul to heal. And they brought their handkerchief and they would rip off pieces of their aprons. And let Paul anoint the aprons so that they could take those cloths back to the individuals that were sick. And when the people would pick up the piece of cloth that the anointing was there, that it would heal the sick. They believed it. And it worked. That's why we leave these laying up here. If somebody's sick and maybe you, you don't know how to pray for them yet, maybe you're fearful of doing that and you want to come up and get an anointed prayer cloth from us, we, we're glad to do that. As a church, I, I believe in that wholeheartedly. And people, last couple weeks, have been coming up and asking, please, Pastor, let's, let's pray together. And I'll, I'll get six or seven of us around here, and we'll pray over that cloth, and, and you can take it. And Mom would put them in our uh, pillowcase when we was kids. I, my whole life, I've probably had so much oil on me, probably what reason my hair fell out. It probably over-oiled. Over <laughs> but the anointing, of God is what heals. Is anybody in this room, do you feel like you could heal anybody? I can't heal anybody, but I know he can. Amen? And I know he wants to. And if I trust in that and trust in his abilities, not mine, and I go and I operate in that, the only thing he needs is a willing vessel. Because Jesus knew he couldn't go to every city and every house so he broke them up and put them in groups of two by two and sent them out. And when they went into these houses, him through the Holy Spirit was going and doing the ministering to these people through the disciples of Jesus. And if he went through those disciples, guess what? He will still go through disciples today. And you and I are disciples of Jesus. If we believe in him, if we trusted him with our heart, if we trusted him with our life, we are a disciple of Jesus. We're a learner of his word. We're a learner of his principles. We're a learner of his truths. So if he sent them out, he's sending us out. And if he allowed them to see these things happen when they went out, guess what's going to happen when you go out? You're going to have these stories. And the best thing I've, I've figured out in my Christianity and my walk with Jesus is that, that I, I don't have to worry about knowing the whole Bible. I don't have to worry about being able to quote every verse and every scripture and knowing everything. I reserve the right not to know. Amen? People come and ask me questions, and just because I'm a pastor don't mean I'm a know-it-all. I reserve the right when you come and ask me a question about some verse or something. I'll say, I don't know. But I will look into it, and I'll try to find out, and I'll dig, and I'll help you dig. But guess what? It's okay not to know. I don't have to know. I've got to know the one that does. And that's one thing I do know. And I'm confident in what he's able to do. My confidence is in him, not in me. So as I go out and witness, the best story to tell, to break the ice if you want to, is your story of what God has done for you. I have learned this to be true. Just tell of what he's done for you. How many's ever been healed by God? Amen. That God's healed you. He's healed your body. Just tell the story how he did it for you. Whenever you're talking to somebody about it, you can tell a story like mom just did, that she's seen this happen. You can talk about that. 
And to get these encounters, you have to do these things to have the encounters that you talk about. So if somebody, somebody asks you, I don't know how to be saved, or I don't know what it's like to be saved, or I don't know enough about God to be saved, guess what story you need to tell? Man, I started going to church, and I heard preaching, and I felt something move on me, and I felt God come over me, and I felt my heart begin to beat. Tell your story about you and how it happened for you. Because when you do that, people's going to say, wow, you mean you felt God? Yeah, yeah, I did. And then you can talk about maybe God has talked to you and you heard him speak to you. And I've heard Greg tell stories about how he's sitting over at the shop and talking about something. And all of a sudden, that he didn't know what to say and God gave you the words to say. I've heard you tell those stories about how that God gave you words to say. And people are like, really? You hear God? Yeah. Yeah, God will talk to you if you listen. The Bible says that his voice is a still, small voice. Sometimes we've really got to pay attention to hear him. But what if we would silence ourselves and silence our phones and silence the busy world we're in and just take a moment to sit and study on God and, and meditate on, on him and listen for his voice? You want these accounts in your life where that you can go tell what God has done for you. And when somebody else don't know or they've never experienced, they will take your first-hand account. And there's something in the Red Letter Challenge this week where I, I don't read ahead. I just, I know from his sermon manuscripts of how it kind of goes, I, I don't read ahead. So last week, I didn't read ahead to tell you, give away stuff. I had no idea that that's what was in that book. I was going on what I knew. I, I don't read ahead in the book. But his manuscript said that in the last so many years that firsthand accounts are what people take as a juror They'll make a decision on their account as a juror more off of a first-hand account than they will by scientific evidence. More than fingerprints, more than anything, if you've got a first-hand account, they take that to base their decision on more than anything else. What if it's like that for our Christianity? If they ain't worried about scientific facts, they're worried about your first-hand account. What has God done for you? So what if we would go into the cities and the houses the way God had these disciples to do and what if we would go with the same open heart and open mind that these 70 individuals did and what if we would come back in here next weekend and there's multiple people in our church at the bridge that could come in next weekend and say man I anointed somebody with oil this week and they got healed wouldn't that be awesome how many would like that, to have testimonies to tell about the goodness of God and you being a part of that? You didn't heal them. God did. But being able to have those stories. But if you don't ever take the leap of faith to go and put mayonnaise on their head, amen, it takes a leap of faith to do those things. So if we expect God to do something, he's asking us to initiate it in going for him. He's not going to be here in a physical body again. He said he would anoint us to go do this work of the ministry. He told us that he would set up a church and he would set up leadership and he would set up these things for us to go do. Are you going to do it? That's our question this week. Are we going to do what he asked us to do? Are we going to be the church that he called us to be? And don't operate in fear. Operate in faith. 
and believe that God can do the impossible in our community, in our neighbors, in our family, and in our homes. How many led somebody to Jesus last year? That somebody You prayed with somebody and they, they become a believer in Jesus last year. Same thing at the Fansburg campus. A couple of people raised their hand. Now the same thing. How many know somebody that don't know Jesus that you would like to know Jesus? Amen. We all know somebody that don't know Jesus that we would like for them to know Jesus. He's calling us to go reach them. He's calling upon us to go tell our story to them so that they can know him. Because the same warm my salvation story of how that I felt like the, just the weight of the world lifted off my shoulders in an instant when I prayed the sinner's prayer and I asked God to relieve me of the stress of my life it felt like the weight of the world lifted off my shoulders anybody like that it felt like just the load got lighter tell that story because somebody you know is carrying a burden they don't need to carry right now and God's calling you to go speak to them. Take the blue card. Do what he's asking you to do. Let's all stand. Mackenzie talked about rural compassion. And we've went to, I don't know, two or three things. That's how we got the shoes. Uh, for the schools and all the kids, Leslie done the grants and all that stuff. This is the same organization that done all that stuff. And every kid in Central and every kid in Garrison School has received a free pair of shoes because we initiated the process to go to one of these events to learn about something we could bring back. If we wouldn't have went, we wouldn't have known. And these people are very godly people. And this time, like Leslie said, it isn't about us going there and getting stuff and bringing it back. They're literally going to come to our church and present and train us how to be compassionate people in rural America. I look forward to it because what these individuals have done, this husband and wife have done, is, is really a miracle. They've done things that seemed impossible because they believed they'd try. And I look forward to them coming to our church and, and teaching us about these things. So be ready for that in March. It's going to be a great time. But I do want you to be attentional this week about those two cards that they passed out earlier in the service. So if we could all just pray together, I want you to just bow your head and I want us all to pray together. That the Holy Spirit would lead us and would guide us to those two individuals that he's called us to. And that we would be obedient, that we would have faith, and we would just trust God. That we wouldn't operate in fear. That we would go and we would tell those people our story. When God gives us the opportunity. God, I pray for every person in this room. God, as they take these two cards and they become your witnesses just like these 70 in this story 
in Luke chapter 10. God, I pray that as the anointing went on them and, and that they told those individuals that they come in contact with that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God has come nigh to your house or nigh to you, God, that you would go with these people the same way you went with those people. And God, that you would encourage them and you would strengthen them, you would embolden them. Lord, that they would speak when you would have them speak. And Lord, that they would listen when you would have them listen. And God, if they come into contact with people that may be sick and afflicted, God, I pray as they would take all and just believe, God, that you could heal. As they pray that fervent, factual prayer of faith that it says in your word, God, I pray that your anointing would heal those that have diseases that need it healed. Help us to be your witnesses on this earth. Help people to come to know you through us. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, Amen. Amen.